Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Music for a Book podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Britt. And I'm Hannah. And for those of you that are new or just joining, every two weeks we read a book and we review it on here. We choose a song that we feel like encompasses the book that we just read, draw the parallels between the two, give you a great book review, and have a lot of fun along the way. So welcome to our fourth episode. Yeah, exciting. Very excited. Welcome. If this is your first one joining us, hello, hello. If you've been here since the beginning, we appreciate you. Welcome back. Yes. So the book that we read this week is Local Woman Missing by Mary Kubica. Hold on. Have we decided how we say her name? We still have not confirmed. (laughs) No, we still have not confirmed. So please, Mary, if you're listening or if somebody knows the pronunciation, Googled it. I cannot find out exactly how we've heard kubica and kubica so so sorry but yeah please forgive us how the episode will lay out is we are going to kind of go over a quick synopsis um some trigger warnings and then we will reveal our song choices and then we will enter into our spoiler zone so um you have a couple chances to exit pause the episode before we get into our spoiler zone because we would love it if you read this book ahead of time um especially this book please read it and so you can listen along with us for our review and we don't ruin anything otherwise if you want to be spoiled and you just want us to story tell it to you we look forward to having you dear reader So before we read over the synopsis, I just wanted to go over a few of the trigger warnings. This book is definitely more graphic than the first thriller that we read. So just a a fair warning here. Some of the trigger warnings that you can expect in this book are kidnapping, murder, child abuse, abuse in all forms, really physical, emotional, mental abuse, death, confinement, medical trauma, pregnancy trauma, car accident, violence, grief, suicide, torture infidelity the list goes on but you can those are the main ones that you can that you can see yes it's not a book necessarily that's like very very difficult to stomach but it is important to note these things because it can get graphic at times use your best judgment if you watch true crime shows like criminal minds and stuff like that you will be okay if stuff like that does upset you this book might not be for you yep Skip it. Come and see us next episode. We got a different vibe going on. So a quick synopsis of Local Woman Missing. Shelby Tebow is the first to go missing. Not long after, Meredith Dickey and her six-year-old daughter, Delilah, vanished just blocks away from where Shelby was last seen, striking fear into their once peaceful community. Are these incidents connected? After a search that yields more questions than answers, the case goes cold. But... 11 years later, Delilah shockingly returns, and everyone wants to know what happened to her, but they're just not prepared for what they'll find. That is what you're getting into. So we are going to reveal our song choices. You know, this week, I we have both been very, very excited to discuss this book. We don't talk about our our thoughts or our song choices ahead of time. I will say it's really hard to not be excited about a book when we both really enjoyed it so we both knew coming into this Mm -hmm. that we enjoyed the book but beyond that we have discussed 
nothing of the plot of the book. We really try to keep it to real raw reactions while we're recording. So yeah. Yep. Here we go. All right. Song choices. So big song reveal. You can see from all of our descriptions from our previous episodes, we are heavy in our Taylor Swift era. Sometimes, not gonna lie, guys, we do pause our recording for surprise song o'clock, whatever time that may fall when we're recording. Big into Taylor very big into Harry Styles as well. So those are kind of the forefront of our song choices right now. Not saying that we will never pick a song outside of that. I promise if you're not a Swifty, if you're not a Harry, but right now the brain can only process so much and the Eros tour takes up about 97% of my functioning brain cells. <laughs> I couldn't decide if I wanted to, if I could find a song for the overall vibe, if I was going to pick one character, if I was, you know, going to go over a few things, but I did land on one song that was more of like, an overall theme of the book. And so I ended up choosing Come In With The Rain by Taylor Swift. Okay. Mm -hmm. I like it. It's a good one. Thank you. I also chose Taylor Swift. I chose Bad Blood remix featuring Kendrick Lamar. (laughs) Love. (laughs) But I can't wait to talk about that more in detail. Yes. We will talk more about our song choices and how they parallel. But for right now, We are heading in to the spoiler zone. So if you have not read the book and you do not want it spoiled for you, this is your chance to get out now. Highly recommend reading this book. Like Britt said, if you're a fan of true crime, thrillers, quick, easy read, um, definitely go read that and pause this episode and return back to us because we will be spoiling a lot because um, there's a lot to spoil. That we want to talk so about and discuss. Discuss. So this is your warning. We will do a lot of reveals here soon. So just yeah, continue on if you're ready, ready to be spoiled, or re- or if you've read it and you are just as excited to hear our reactions as you were when you read it. Let's go. We'll get started. So the book starts out with a prologue that's dated 11 years before, and this prologue is written in third person. And it is very vague. There are no identifying factors of who it's necessarily about. It starts out with a wife, you know, taking care of her baby at home and feeling the effects of alleged infidelity from her husband, the coming home late, the constant text messages of, you know, stuck in traffic, X, Y, and Z. He comes home, they eat dinner together. And she tells him that she's going to go out for a run and it's 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, she's like, why not? And basically he says, you know, when people do dumb shit like this, they always wind up dead. And it feels very ominous. She felt like she wasn't sure what to make of it. So she fires back. She's like, what do you expect me to do? I'm at home with our baby alone all day. I need time to myself. And so she goes out the front door and she sends a text message that says on my way and the reply says see you there and so she deletes the conversation and it's revealed that she is about as transparent as her husband is which is very opaque not at all Mm -hmm. and so she's walking around the street and you know this person she said that he isn't the first man that she's cheated on her husband with and he won't be the last So just kind of like a non-remorseful situation. It's very interesting. And so she said, like her, Sam is married. Sam is the only person that's named 
in this entry and so she's going to meet sam and it even has like quotes on it too like sam and quotes yes like you know quote unquote sam so it's definitely like he says his name is sam so we don't know if it's like like who this person really is exactly and so you know what if her husband's on to her she was like he definitely doesn't know but on her way there she is looking up at the stars when she hears something behind her and so she's looking in the in the street she's kind of paranoid um thinks maybe it's an animal and so they don't really talk much just you know a quick little hookup here and there they're not in love they're just a form of escapism is what she says or what the narrator says rather and so another noise comes through and she looks she's kind of scared she feels like someone might be watching her so she starts to run and she ends up tripping over her shoe that was untied. She feels really nervous. Everything is dark. It's 10 o'clock at night. Females running on their own. 10 o'clock at night, usually not the best idea. And so she senses movement out of the corner of her eye. You know, she distracts herself with thoughts of quote unquote Sam, <laughs> you know, everything that's to come, what she's excited for. She bends over to tie her shoe and another noise comes from behind her and this time when she looks back, it says car lights surface on the horizon going way too fast. There's no time to hide. And that's where we end the prologue. So in part one, um, we're introduced to Delilah. Delilah, find out, is being trapped in a basement. There's no lights. There's no windows. There's nothing. It's dark. And she is down there with another boy named Gus. Um, we're described that there's like a toilet in the corner that is just this room that they're just kind of trapped in. And there's a man and a lady and they can hear them upstairs and the lady will open the door and kind of throw their food and, you know, they'll get punished if, um, you know, she doesn't say sir or ma'am when addressing these, these people that we're introduced to that are kind of who we assume are, you know, keeping her captive, right? Like, Gus doesn't eat anything. Like, it's just, like, mush that they're kind of, that Delilah's given. He just kind of sits there and, you know, she's a little worried about him because she's like, okay, he doesn't eat. Like, is he going to be okay? And, like, just kind of worried and, like, how Gus is going to survive because he's just chilling there. Like, he doesn't eat or anything, you know. So they're trapped down there. Um, Delilah doesn't know how old she is. She doesn't know how long she's been there. Like, time is just, like, she doesn't know it. Yeah, she tried to keep track of her days, but with the very limited amount of light that they get, um, the only light that they really get is when they open the door to throw food at them. They just do their best to pass the time by sleeping on concrete with nothing else. They also play a game where they try and get as close to the wall as they can. <laughs> So it's as dark it's dark and they just kind of walk towards it without like holding their hands up and just trying to get as close as they can to the to the wall. Yeah, and it's just really just doing whatever they can to like make the time go by. They have no idea, like Hannah said, the duration of time they've been down there. And every time, you know, the woman opens the door, it's usually very aggressive. Like she swears at her, calls her a dipshit, calls her a little twit. She can hardly remember her name because of how long she's been she's been in there and she's been called everything but. And so her and Gus have learned kind of by the overall 
like sounds of the house because they've really had to learn to rely on their other senses. Who's there and when? And the woman is far more aggressive and far more ruthless than the man is in this situation. And we actually see that the man a couple of times brings like a sense of humanity to Gus and to um, Delilah where, you know, he sneaks her a blanket down for a day. He tries to be a little bit extra nice to her. And I mean, I don't know how much humanity you can really give a person when (laughs) you have them kidnapped a child and lock them in your basement. But it's very clear that the man has some sort of conscience laying over him while the woman just could not give two flying fucks. She truly could not care less. Yeah. And so um, with one of the meals, they're given a spoon and Delilah hatches this plan to take the spoon and to sharpen it somehow and create a weapon to help her escape. And like Gus is a little hesitant about it. Um, but, you know, she's like, nope, this is it. This is what's going to happen. So she's able to sneak the spoon, keep it and like hide it from the man and the woman. When she starts sharpening it on the inside of the toilet bowl, she feels around and feels that she can kind of um, sharpen it on that. She uses that, sharpens it up, and then hatches a plan to try to try to escape. Yep. And so Gus is trying to talk her out of it. Gus is like, this is a terrible idea. She calls him a scaredy cat and her dialogue, like her diction and the way that she, she writes and the way that she speaks is very much like an undereducated form of speech. So she was taken when she was young and she must have learned how to speak from the words. Like she picked up on the diction of the, her captors. Yep. You know, in the way that she speaks, like, through her narration, like, one point she says, I ain't ever thought about hurting or killing a person before. That's not my way. I don't got a mean bone in my body, or at least I don't think I did before coming to this place. So you kind of get a sense of where her headspace is, obviously, after being held captive, but also very clearly that she must have been taken when she was young and be around people that are either have a very, very thick accent or undereducated or, you know, some sensibility of that to where she's not speaking in correct or proper English, rather. Mm-hmm. And so she also describes how this man and lady that are holding her, holding her captive saved a newspaper from when she went missing. And the lady read stories out loud to her, telling her about ha- what happened to her mama, showing her pictures of her daddy standing in front of the big blue house crying how the police were looking for her, but then they just kind of gave up and that this man and lady got away with taking a kid that wasn't theirs. And um, the lady tells Delilah that stealing kids is the easiest thing in the world. And then she also describes like when, when she noticed like Gus arrived, that she said she doesn't know like certain when Gus arrived, that he just kind of showed up out of the blue time when she was like dead asleep, that she just like woke up and he was there crying in the corner and just kind of worse off than she was. And she doesn't know what he looks like because she's only ever caught glimpses of him when the door kind of opens. And all she knows is that he must be in worse shape because he doesn't eat like she does. And she barely eats. They very rarely are able to bathe. They can only use the bathroom in that one like disgusting toilet that they have down in the basement that's never been changed out. And so... They're basically just living in filth and they have bugs down there. And so she talks a lot about how 
she is definitely more like strong-minded than Gus is because Gus tends to cry a lot, kind of shake in the corner. He's afraid of everything. And when she brings up this idea of escaping, he immediately tries to talk her out of it, saying that it's a terrible idea. Absolutely not. Should not be doing this. You know, we're going to get caught. All of these things. And... You know, at this point, she's like, there may never be another chance like this. So I have to do what I have to do. And I'm going to bring Gus with me. Yeah, she is very fond of Gus and wants to make sure that if she escapes, that he's with her and um, she can take care of him. Mm -hmm. The man and lady that have um, Delilah and Gus captive, you know, want her to be very proper and always address them as sir or ma'am. So... One of the times that the woman brings them food, um, Delilah forgot to, forgot to say ma'am, you know, when she was delivering the food. And so the lady then has, like, basically punished Delilah and Gus by not bringing them food because Delilah forgot to say ma'am. So she's just not bringing them food at all. But then the, the man comes down and looking for Delilah. Like I had said, the man had... A little bit more humanity and caring toward Delilah than the woman did. And so when he had come down, she can tell immediately that it's the man coming down because of his footsteps. And so he's trying to be quiet, which means that the woman is somewhere upstairs and he doesn't want her to know. So she's holding her spoon and it's the last thing she wants to do is hurt the one who's actually been nicer to her. You know, you got to do what you got to do. And... So she, oh, he's like, where are you? And Gus doesn't say anything. Gus is scared in the corner alone. And so he comes over and he says that he has a candy bar for her. So he's unwrapping it. And basically he's like, listen, as far as she's concerned, she's basically going to let you starve to death down here. So he's trying to sweet talk her and saying, you know, this is just eat this you deserve this you know she's not gonna feed you so i'm gonna make sure you're taken care of and so she said this isn't the first time that he brought her chocolate he brought her a cupcake because he said it was her birthday but she has no idea when her birthday even happened because she has no concept of time and so yeah she eats a little bit of the candy bar and so she feels like she basically wants to cry because this poor girl has been starved, tortured, tormented, abused and alone in this basement eating disgusting mush and now she finally gets the chance to eat something sweet and delicious and she's just very thankful for it and in her head she's like, oh, I should save some for Gus. You know, Gus would love this candy bar. He's wasting away. He needs to, he needs to eat more than me. And so she takes another bite and, you know, he's leaning in toward her in a very predatory way. He's like, you know, I have more of that. All you have to do is ask and runs through her head. She's really nervous, but she thinks she might not ever have another shot at this. So she holds the spoon in her hand that she had, you know shaved down into a point and the man is telling her you know what a pretty girl she is which again it's a very obvious that even though he's had a little bit more of a sense of humanity toward her that he's definitely a predator mm -hmm. from the way that he approaches her and talks to her and you know aside from the actual you know kidnapping and holding her captive it's I, he's definitely in my opinion 
abused her in other ways, sexually or, or otherwise. And so yeah. she she winds up, she reaches out, and she jams that spoon as hard as she can right into him. And she thinks it's somewhere in his neck region, and she just does it again and again. Like, it's not a knife, but it's the only thing that she has, and it's her one shot of getting out. Yep. So she um, successfully knocks him down to the ground, kicks at him, and just does her best to try to escape this basement prison that they kept her in. She's like, Gus is crying. She's like running upstairs. She can hear the the man downstairs making a sound, just kind of bellowing out. But she's just wondering like, you know, is the lady going to hear it? What's going to happen next, right? So she starts running and she's like, calls Gus to hurry up and finds her way out of the house, runs around, runs through. The lady notices that, you know, they're escaping, run through the forest. You know, Delilah is really concerned that Gus isn't keeping up and like wants to make sure that, you know, they come together and run through the forest. She gets hit in the head by a tree, (laughs) Um, ends up taking a little um, refuge in like a, a storage shed. She loses Gus somewhere along the way. But she's like, you know, I have to keep going for both of us. Like, I have to do it. I can't stop now. So she takes refuge in this little shed, hides in that hides in as tightly as she can, and she hears the man like discover her or just discover the shed and walk in, try to scare her out. But she's determined to like stay put, stay quiet, and she doesn't reveal herself as much as he tries to lure her out. And so the man and the woman, we think, give up and go back. She ends up, you know, slowly starting to come out of the shed when she feels like she has the chance. And she is assaulted by the sun being outside. She hasn't seen daylight in years. We don't know how many, but it's been a long time. There's a bunch of mud from all the rain that's come down. And she has no idea where the house is that she came from. She's really worried about Gus, but at this point, she's like, I have to save myself, and then that way I can go back and save Gus. And so she really tries to memorize her surroundings. She's walking through. The sun keeps coming up, and it starts to to warm her skin. It starts to brighten up a little bit at a time, and she ends up in the woods. She's crossing through the woods. She doesn't see the lady her little girl and the dog come walking through the woods at first. It's the dog that ends up seeing her. And so she hears the bark. And so she nearly runs, but the dog is like super small. It's yapping, hanging out sideways. It's one of those adorable little animals. And so the woman is appalled by what's happening. She describes her as like slack jawed. And she's like, don't worry. Like, the dog is Cody. He won't hurt you. He just gets really excited. And so the woman's kind of like staring at her very strangely. And she's like, are you, are you new? Like, are you okay? Are you hurt? And she starts rattling off, you know, ages. How old are you? Are you 11? Are you 14? Are you 12? She nods her head at 14 because she's like, that sounds (laughs) right-ish. Again, no idea. And so The woman is calm and kind, but you can definitely tell she's concerned and worried. And so she said, do you live around here? And basically she's like, I have, ma'am, I don't know. I have no idea where I live other than the house is blue. 
I couldn't find that blue house if my life depended on it. She asks if she can call her parents. She doesn't know. And she asks what her name is. And, you know, you don't have to if you don't want to. And she's Delilah's terrified. She doesn't know what to say, but she says her name is Delilah. And the woman, you can tell, like, is really freaking out. And the daughter's like, who's that? Who's that? She said, Delilah, what? And when she says Delilah Dickey, the woman doesn't say anything, but her hand goes to her mouth and she gasps. Yeah. So, I mean, as we know, right, like Delilah... From the synopsis, Shelby was the first person to go missing. Then Meredith and Delilah went missing. And then it happened 11 years ago. So just, you know, I couldn't imagine like, you know, this lady probably knew about the case, right? This missing girl. And yeah, then this girl turns up and says she's Delilah Dickey and just like, oh, what? I know. Can you imagine just stumbling upon a girl that had gone missing years and years ago? Like... I can't even imagine what that would be like in the shock and especially having her own daughter with her and like the state that Delilah must have been in, like the conditions that she lived in, the abuse that she endured, everything that she, mm-hmm. how she suffered in that basement for however many years. We we know it's 11 years in the context of the book, but Delilah yeah. has no idea. Can't even imagine. Yeah. So then we jump to part two. Um, We're introduced to Kate 11 years before and in the month of May. In this chapter here, we find out that it's been just rainy, apocalyptic. Like the rains just like don't let up. No, and there's never any reprieve. Like it's consistent and persistent for so many months and days. Basically the entirety of this book. Uh, it feels like it's just like dark and dreary powers out sporadically throughout the block and then there's a knock on kate's door so she's a little like jumpy then realizes quickly that um it's her next door neighbor josh we're introduced to josh who lives next door with his wife meredith and their two kids and kate opens the door and sees josh just like drenched in in the rain with his son Leo, who just stands at Josh's side shivering. You know, Kate can instantly tell, like, you know, something, something's wrong. So she asks him, and Josh just says, like, have you heard from Meredith? Do you know where she is? And just that, like, Meredith has isn't home. She hasn't called or anything, and Delilah's not there. So we're just kind of, like, in this whirlwind of, like, okay, where is everybody? Kate asks Josh, like, have you called her? Like, um, Meredith is a doula, so she could be at a birth. Like, you know, those kind of go at sporadic times, could be any time in the middle of the night. And Josh is like, Yes, I've tried her 10 times. And he's like, you know, feeling guilty because the last time they talked was like before bed last night, but he didn't want to wake her up this morning or anything. Josh said he wasn't worried until the sitter that watches the kids said like Delilah wasn't there, that Meredith called her and said that Delilah was going to stay home because she um, was sick. And so Josh is like, wait, Delilah's sick? Like, Delilah and Meredith aren't home? So it's just a very interesting situation. You know, she's trying to keep Josh calm, but in her head, she immediately feels like something is wrong. And it's not just about Meredith and Delilah. Delilah's only six. You know, it's definitely terrifying, but there's something else because there's Shelby Tebow to consider, who was a young woman who just went for a jog in the neighborhood 10 nights ago and never returned. And so that's our first kind of connection that we can see that the woman in the prologue was very likely 
Shelby, even though she wasn't named, that's, you know, it, it checks out. And so it's very close to when Meredith and Delilah are suddenly unreachable. And so she just kind of gets that pit in the stomach. Something definitely is wrong feeling. You know, he went to the sitters. He was confident that they would he would find them back at home. And it, her phone just keeps going to voicemail. They're just trying. Kate's just trying to calm him down in any sense of it. It feels like the rain will never end. And so that with Shelby just keeps kind of nagging at her a little bit, even though she's trying to suppress it, because obviously they're fine. Like, it's just a misunderstanding. They're going to come home soon. And that's when we are introduced to her partner, B, officially. B or Bia. We both read it differently in our heads. And you know how when you read something, sometimes you say it one way in your head. So you might hear B, you might hear Bia. We don't know what's correct. It's just, that's how we read it. B comes out. This is Kate's partner. And Kate is a veterinarian. And B works um, quite frequently in her music studio outside. So they, you know, Kate doesn't disturb her. They, she says that they pass quite frequently like ships in the night. When B comes in, she kind of fills her in on everything that's going on. And then that's when um, Kate tells B, like, you know, uh, Josh can't find Meredith, Meredith and Delilah. And Bia says, you know, well, Meredith came by this morning, like you were out of milk. Like she just came by for a quick second and grabbed some milk because the kids wanted um, cinnamon toast crunch. And so Josh asks her, like, did she say anything about Delilah being sick? And she's like, no, she just kind of ran in and apologized for being a bother. But she never said anything about Delilah being sick. So, you know, Bia says, you know, she's sorry that Meredith didn't say anything. You know, sure, it's nothing like, you know, so ultimately, like this chapter lays out kind of the groundwork that Meredith and Delilah are missing. BSR in the morning, Kate hasn't seen her, and Josh is, like, looking for them. And, you know, Kate and Bia kind of ask, like, were you guys okay? Were you fighting? And Josh is like, I don't know, like, things have been kind of weird, I guess, for the last couple of weeks. Like, you know, she, Meredith, like, kind of seemed like she was keeping a secret or anything. And mm -hmm. so it's just kind of wondering, you know, what was the reason for this disappearance? It just ends with... Josh calling the police to report Meredith and Delilah missing. Sing. Mm -hmm. So then we jump to Meredith. We're introduced to Meredith 11 years before, but this is March. So this is two months before Kate's chapter. So two months before she goes missing. And it's revealed that Meredith received a threatening text. It says, I know what you did. I hope you die. Mm -hmm from an unknown number um, that she doesn't have saved or anything. And so it distracts her. Leo, who we met when Josh came and knocked on the door, is in the bathtub and, you know, she's just kind of distracted and she gets this text and throws her off. I mean, I think that would throw anybody off. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, you know, she's trying to play it off. She's trying to play it cool. She texts back to the number. She's like, this is clearly a misunderstanding. So she says, you have the wrong number. And the response is really quick that comes in. It says, I hope you rot in hell, Meredith. Yep. So obviously they don't have the wrong number. They are trying to reach Meredith. Correct. So they have reached the correct person. Message received. It moves through like Meredith telling Josh, like, I have 
to still like give Leo his bath and he's a little con- confused because she's been in there for a long time with him but she uses the excuse that she has a client in labor and she in her narration she feels really guilty saying that um, because it was a lie but she in the moment just needed a minute to compose herself and when Josh you know steps in Josh is a very caring doting father he's very understanding and so he just swooped right in and picked up where he needed to and so the client keeps texting through and the phone pings again and she ignores it because she's afraid that someone is going to tell her that you know they hope that she's dead again or they're going to threaten to kill her or something and it ends up being one of her clients so josh um you know, takes everything over and he's like, is everything okay? And she again kind of fibs her way through it. She said, I'm just thinking about my client. She's talking about how she had a stillbirth and, you know, she was 32 weeks and she couldn't imagine going through that. And so she again talks about her guilt for, for lying, but it has the effect that she wants because Josh kind of backs off on her. So she steps out of the bathroom, she steps into her scrubs and You know, it's not a complete fib that her client was actually in labor, but it definitely didn't feel good to lie to Josh. Like, lying through omission, more or less. What we see, too, is just that their relationship is, you know, what we assume is really strong. Like, they don't keep secrets from each other. Um, They really care about each other. They're in love. Like, they have this family. Everything is going pretty good. And then we are introduced to our third narrator and we alternate between these three from here on out. And this is Leo. So Josh and Meredith's son, but in present day time. And so Leo's, Leo's narration is very aggressive, very abrasive. And in his, chapters and in the parts that he's talking he's speaking directly to delilah so we as the reader are getting we're not necessarily getting a a description of things we're getting him as if this was like an open letter to delilah um which i thought was really interesting and so his his narration opens with to be straight i never thought they were going to find you i gave that up a long time ago and, you know, he talk, he details about how Josh, his dad, really just never got over missing you. And he said, you know, now that you're gone and reopened the wound, made him mourn for mom all over again. And it's um, as if she's only just died. So we learn right here that Meredith did end up passing away. Um, We just have no context as to how, when, or why at this point. So he goes through and he's talking about how, you know, Josh made him preserve Delilah's room as if she was going to come back at any given moment, how he's treated like, you know, an abnormality at school. He's teased, he's bullied, he's made fun of, he's, you know, they call him the weird kid, Everything that happened with his mom and his sister basically just looms over his legacy and he can't escape it. And so he's become a bit of a loner. He doesn't really have friends. And 
Josh tries to detail to him all of these memories that he has, but he was so young. He was four when Meredith and Delilah went missing originally. And so he really just feels like he has false memories or things that his dad has told him, but he has no physical recollection of this. So he talks about how Josh, you know, if there was a sighting of you in Florida or in California, he would hop on the first plane and go check it out. And it always led to a dead end. And so, you know, people were swearing up and down that they had spotted Delilah and he's talking about this to her. And he said, as much as people think the internet knows everything, the one thing they don't say is the girl who came back isn't the same one who disappeared. And that's where we leave off. Very important. Remember that. (laughs) It is very important. And yeah, Leo's just, it really caught me off guard. I don't know if it caught you off guard, but it was so hostile. Like, all of his chapters for a while are very aggressive. Um, Yeah. But I like, I understand it. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, the way he describes, like, you know, his dad wasn't really a dad after, like, Delilah and Meredith left. Like, yeah, I could just tell, like, he was just, like, felt very alone and, you know. Yeah, he definitely felt, like, abandoned, even though he wasn't. Yeah. Because he mm-hmm. lost, not only did he lose his mom and his sister, but he lost who his dad was Yeah, in that time frame. So, definitely understand, but it did catch me off guard at first when I was reading it. I was like, oh, God. That's aggressive. Yeah. Angsty little teenager, because what, he's like 15 now? Yep. So, then the police arrive, and the officers arrive without lights or sirens. Um, They just kind of slip in. This is to where we see Kate kind of, like, think about, like, you know, everyone thinks, like, jumps right to the husband, right? You know, with Shelby's case, with, like, Meredith's, like, Mm -hmm. you know, is it domestic violence or is there, like, a serial, like, a serial kidnapper on the loose? So Kate's just kind of, like, trying to figure that out, like, what what actually happened. And then we pop back over to Meredith, who was, again, in March, 11 years before, and she went to her birth. They delivered the baby, gave him... A terrible name, according to Meredith. They named their child Zeppelin. She's already imagining him, you know, being made fun of at school. But her phone was quiet for the rest of the night. Josh texted her goodnight. And so it was a relatively quick labor. So when she's leaving, she just has this, like, very horrible, ominous sense of dread as she's walking. And so she is... I feel like the one thing about the writing, and we talk about this all the time, like, I definitely have a tendency to be, like, way more academic in the way that I view things and less gossipy, but I just can't, I feel like it's just ingrained in me, and so, like, the way that Mary Kubica writes is so atmospheric, like, I could very visually and, like, physically feel and see the things that she's writing, like, her imagery the descriptors everything was unbelievable and so as meredith is walking through this parking garage in the dead of night she starts to feel like very paranoid and a sense of like oh god what's 
what's happening. She could only hear a fan that was worrying. She couldn't hear if there were any footsteps. She glanced back to see if anyone was there. No one was. And so she's really trying to suppress her fear, but she grabs out her cell phone from her bag. She starts heading to her car. Halfway across the garage, she's basically sprinting at this point. When she reaches her car, she's like freaking out near a panic attack. Like, just the the messages are running through her head like I hope you die I hope you rot in hell and she has every right and every reason to be scared and Josh is also consistently afraid for her like he's very much discouraging her from being alone at night he doesn't like her being at the hospital and at these births by herself driving herself he's always just really worried for her but she gets her keys in the ignition she starts the car and out of nowhere there's someone standing beside her car and they're knocking on the window and i could feel the panic while reading it like i could feel that i feel like we all especially as women like we've all had that moment where you're walking back to your car late at night whether it's in a parking garage or otherwise and you're just like i feel like we are all constantly on high alert but especially in like a scene like that and it was almost like a visceral like feeling reading it but luckily it was just Jeanette and Jeanette is a a midwife and she was just she didn't mean to scare her she just wanted to talk about how the baby name was Zeppelin and have a good laugh about it but you know she tells her to to get home safely she reels out of the parking garage she was gonna run through like a McDonald's drive-thru she's starving after work you know the relief was short-lived because there was a text message that had popped up and, you know, Tuesday had become Wednesday. They needed childcare arrangements. He's leaving for work. She's heading home. And she grabs her phone from the passenger seat. She thinks Josh is being proactive. And the message is not from Josh. It's from that same number that was sending her those ominous, threatening text messages earlier. And it says, get home safe. Hell no. Hmm. Hell no. Mm-mm. And then we flip back to Leo and Leo describes like when his dad comes to the school and like tells him that they found Delilah and Leo just kind of like, I just imagine him like rolling his eyes, like just, you know, not, yeah, not really excited. Right. Correct. You know, cause he says like his dad shows up, you know, red eyed and watery and it's just like embarrassing to him like that he's never gonna live it down like he already like you know gets called a freak and everything at school and now his dad's in this in the office crying like he's leaving early so leo and his and his dad and josh um arrive at the police station and delilah's there and leo describes her as like thin pale skin her hands shake that's all i was eating except like she forgot how to eat because she's doing it all wrong and you know josh is just like in awe that like you know delilah's back just saying like how much she looks like their mom there's a cop that has been like helping with the case since the beginning and leo's just kind of like annoyed because he can tell that like the cop and his dad have like hooked up like have feelings like she's a little too friendly with him and just kind of like why am i here and so the DNA test is pending to confirm that like Delilah is Delilah. But since the cop and Josh have this relationship, Delilah is able to come home. Josh is really confused because it doesn't make sense what Delilah has been through given the fact that Meredith was found 
this is how we find out, but Meredith was found dead of a self-inflicted knife wound with the note, you'll never find her, don't even try. And so the note went on to say that you were safe and you were fine. So if what Leo's questioning, like, okay, if what you're saying is true and you weren't fine, like if what you were saying was true, then you weren't fine. But maybe you're lying and no one thinks about the fact that maybe you're lying except for me. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they leave with the promises to take her to a psychiatrist for doctor follow-up. They're worried about pretty much everything because she is battered in terrible shape. And so they're worried about her mental state, but they drive her home. She's very petite, very tiny, obviously had her growth stunted because she was malnourished and living in a dark basement for years on end. So take her home and when they arrive there is a media circus like a frenzy in front of their house and so they try to protect her on the way in trying to like get her in without being seen without having all of these invasive photographers come in and take pictures and stuff like that but he said like his dad is angry about it because if what delilah had told the police officer is true that means that there's someone out there still looking for her like she escaped from somewhere and now they're looking for her again and he's so fearful for her life and that they could have potentially re-endangered her after all these years of being kidnapped and held captive Mm -hmm. so we jump back to meredith and she wakes up next to josh and the kids come cuddle with her we just kind of see the dynamic between josh and meredith and the kids and how josh is you know very protective of meredith and you know wants to make sure that she was okay since she got home at like 4 a.m and just making sure they're gonna have a good day and then we pop over to kate back in may again 11 years before and you know she starts to detail and describe parts of their house so this area of chicago they're in a suburb of chicago is a like a historic district is the best way that i can describe it the houses that are preserved are basically historical landmarks they have a lot of quirks they're older people are updating them but still preserving the character of the buildings um and it's at a very nice like affluent area and so they're talking about how their house is under renovations and how her partner b whose full name is beatrice but she's only referred to by b or bia the entire time outside of that you know she used to perform in bars a lot but she kind of you know lost out on that and they feel pretty safe in this area, there's a college campus. The area is far more liberal than it is conservative, but there's still some some bigotry thrown out from having a lesbian couple in the area just naturally. And so they've, you know, kind of skirted past a few things here and there, but it's still definitely present and they're aware of these things. And, you know, Bee's working on an album right now. Kate is a veterinarian, like we said. And so Bee pulls her weight. She, you know, she sold some songs. She had an inheritance that came through. So they're, they're well off. They're in a good spot. And so they have contractors in and out of their house. And now, given everything that's happened, they're starting to feel uneasy having men just come in and out with full access to their house. They mentioned that there's a lockbox that they have access to. And it's just this like 
the the sense of paranoia has started to spread through the community because of what happened to Shelby and now Meredith and Delilah are missing. So it's just kind of setting up the uneasiness that the town and everyone is now feeling given the recent circumstances. And Kate mentions too that Josh has been trying to call like family and friends and they're organizing like a little like search party to help since Josh feels like the cops aren't aren't doing enough to look for them. Mm-hmm. And then we jump back to Leo and he just describes like the first night of having Delilah back home and just that Delilah barely speaks unless like dad says something first and that Delilah keeps saying sir every time and you know just being very proper and it just like Leo just doesn't doesn't really feel right you know. I just landed on the spot where he's like you talk like a redneck, which is weird as fuck since you come from an upper middle class neighborhood in the Midwest. Like, Yeah. <laughs> but it's true, like, right? <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, and that was something, like, that was a thought that I had before even he mentioned it. Yeah. To Leo, right? Like, he doesn't, he's still a kid. Like, he doesn't understand, like, what happened or, like, what is happening, too. Yeah. So then um, we learn a little bit more about Meredith back in March, um, 11 years before. She talks about how she has to, she's running late, but she needs to get the kids to the sitters and to school. They run outside and they run into Cassandra, who is one of Meredith's friends with her daughter, Piper. She sees them heading off to school, so she tries to catch up to them and have Delilah walk to school with Cassandra and Piper. Meredith does feel a little bit guilty for kind of unloading Delilah onto Cassandra because she can't really re- ever like repay the favor of walking them to school. You know, she talks about Cassandra, how Cassandra is very independent and just um, doesn't like to ask for help, and she will hopefully one day repay her, though. Meredith does take Leo over to Charlotte's and she gets another text message that just says, I know what you did and you'll never get away with it, bitch. I don't, I don't even know what I would do if he, if someone was sending right? messages like that. Like, well, and the, the thing p- is like, nothing is happening. Like, I know we're not in like, a, we're in the, the spoiler zone, but I want to like, wait until we get there. But yeah, like these text messages... But, like, I have to say, like, these text messages just seem, like, super out of pocket because I'm, like, the big, like, thing hasn't even, like, happened yet. Like, this is March, 11 years before. And I'm, like... Yeah, I was... Yeah, and I'm just sitting there, like... Like, I'm, like, what did you do? You know what I mean? I'm, like, I don't know. Yeah, and it's, like, at this point, too, we have no idea who we can trust in terms of a narrator. We have no idea. Yeah. If anyone's lying, if we have an unreliable narrator, we've run into that with some of our books before. Like, we just don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So we then pop back to Kate in May. So again, two months ahead. They are assembling a search party now. Josh has gotten people from the neighborhood together, friends and family, to go search for Meredith and Delilah. And so, you know, Josh apologizes for Meredith's absence at work yesterday because not only is she a doula, she also instructs yoga. And, you know, he's like, I'm so sorry that she missed her classes. She said it's, oh, no, no, no. Like, it's no inconvenience at all. They've been splitting Meredith's classes amongst themselves as they did last week when Meredith was sick. But this is news to Josh. He has no idea that Meredith has taken time off. He's really taken aback and... She was like, well, yesterday was the third time in two weeks that Meredith called in sick and you didn't know. 
And so they thought there was something, you know, like a health crisis going on with her or something like that. But Jeanette, the midwife, steps in and says, you know, Meredith had made the decision to cut back on her workload to spend more time with her family. She told Jeanette like a week or so ago about it. And Josh reacts again as if this is news to him. And so from Meredith's perspective, prior to all of this happening and these text messages coming through and this weird shift in the relationship, they really had a strong foundational marriage of like really good communication. Just they were in it together for the kids, for each other. Josh had a phenomenal job. Meredith was able to do what she loved, not because they needed the money, but because it fulfilled her. And, you know, it was just... It was a really big blow to Josh to hear these things because he thought that they always had a full open line of communication and he's starting to realize that maybe there was something going on that his wife didn't tell him about. B comes up with a strategy to divide everyone and take charge, be a planner, send people to search the town. And so they're going through the town using the major roads as their guide. Her... Kate and B are staying back to kind of canvas the neighborhood because they live there. They know most of their neighbors and they figured that familiar faces would probably yield more information than a stranger walking up to their doorstep. So Mm -hmm. Josh sends a picture of Meredith to the group chat so that way people can do it. He is very emotional. He's very distraught. And at this point, I will say like, it's almost always the husband, but everyone, no one at this point has pointed any fingers at josh like it just they seem very trusting in him and the things that he's saying even though true crime would have you believe otherwise typically yeah so they canvass the neighborhood you know nobody really has that like much information um, for them to kind of work with they go to the hanaka's house which um is cassandra who we met earlier is friends with meredith cassandra and marty's house And Kate recalls that, like, Josh teased Meredith about having, like, a girl crush on Cassandra. You know, that they were friends. Like, that was, like, they're kind of, like, couple friends there. So they knock on her door, and Cassandra welcomes them in, gets them some coffee. You know, she brings up that she hasn't seen her in a few days. But Cassandra does say that, like, she's worried and that Josh just must be beside himself. And Cassandra reveals that, like, one night she was up late with Arlo, and she had the windows drawn, and she saw two... Like, figures out in, like, the yard of the Dickies' house, which she conveniently forgot until now, which I thought was kind of weird. But um, she saw some movement and just, like, couldn't tell what they were doing. But she didn't call the police because she, she says it was dark and she just, like, they weren't there for that long. And, you know, she was busy with the their youngest, so she didn't even really, like, think about it. B mentioned that, like, you know, maybe somebody has a home security camera. We can take a look at that, see if it's any there, but... They thought maybe it could be drunk college kids because we said like the college campus is close to it. So it wasn't really sure like what is going on there. But that's a little tidbit of information. So they continue on to the next house and they go visit Jason Tebow. Yep. They sure do. And while people have been much kinder to Josh in this situation, the rumors swirling Jason Tebow are aggressive And he is, like, annoyed as fuck that they're there. He is kind of brooding. He's pointing to a no soliciting sign. He's like, basically, get off my porch. He's pissed off. And, you know, B and Kate try to talk to him, introduce themselves, and their friend went missing. And if he has seen anyone, and he's like, 
is this a joke? Like, no, seriously, is this a joke? And he's holding a baby while he's doing this. And so Kate's like, you know, you don't understand. This has nothing to do with your wife. Like, our friend and next-door neighbor went missing. Have you seen them? Meredith Dickey. You know, they're a few blocks away, but they're like, well, Jason wouldn't know who Meredith is. Like, there's no way. And there's a flash of recognition on his face. He says that he knows Meredith, actually. He and Shelby knew Meredith. And that's because she was Shelby's doula. Kate is, like, horrified by this realization because... It's very easy to take, like, you know, Meredith and Delilah and separate it out from Shelby. But now knowing that they have a connection together, the fact that they very likely could be linked and could be more of like a serial or like a a premeditated type of situation is even more prevalent now, knowing that there is an actual connection between them. You know, he mentions that, like... The birth itself was just like a nightmare that he can't really talk about like what exactly went wrong. It kind of leads them down the road to ask Jason, like, did she have any enemies? Like, Jason's like, no, she didn't have many, but she did have one. And they ask who, and it's Dr. Feingold. He is, was her OBGYN. So Jason says he can't really talk about it. And so they kind of move on and they keep going, knocking on more doors, but no one's seen Meredith or Delilah. And then the group chat goes off. A body has been found. Of course, we don't figure out who that is right away because we're taken back to Meredith two months ahead of time. And this is where we actually see Meredith meet Shelby after she's um, after she's taught a yoga class. And so they meet in person. You can tell she's very anxious. Shelby is. And Shelby asks Meredith if she wants something to eat or drink. And she says yes. Meredith is like, oh, well, you're not having something to eat. She feels guilty. Like, she doesn't want to take the the scone and the drink and, like, Shelby have nothing. And she shakes her head and she says, look at me. I'm fat. The last thing that I need is a pastry. Meredith is immediately like, you're not fat. You're pregnant. And she mentions that her husband said she's never going to lose all this weight. She's gained 30 pounds and... That kind of sends up a little red flag in Meredith's mind. Like, okay, well, is your husband, is he always like this? Shelby looks very concerned. And so basically she admits that she did not tell her husband. She did not tell Jason that she was coming to meet a doula. He doesn't really believe in it. He thinks it's too much money. Basically she's, you know, Meredith is like, don't worry. Like it can be hard to get men on board. They don't really understand. It happens all the time. After we talk, you can talk to your husband and then we can decide from there. So she asks how far along she is. And Shelby says she's 36 weeks. Which is kind of shocking because to Meredith, her clients usually come to her newly pregnant. She rarely takes on people this late, but Shelby explains that they just moved to town and she can't go to her OBGYN. And so she found one that she doesn't really like and she needs someone to help her advocate for herself. So, you know, Meredith ends up taking it on and Meredith does talk a lot about in here too we probably we probably won't get into it too much but just so you guys know there is a lot of stuff about like medical trauma and birth trauma in here but you know she talks about how she feels like doctors do things on the verge of sexual assaults and they talk about the lack of informed consent and all of these things surrounding pregnancy and 
she ends up talking to Shelby just about like, what do you, what do you want out of this? How can I help you? And all she wants is a healthy baby. That's all that she wants. So the next time she sees Shelby is two days later. They meet back at the coffee shop and she's very jumpy, but she said she was able to get her husband on board and he had his reservations. But and by reservations, she means that he thinks that she's like a con, a scam artist. She's scamming them out of money, all of these things. And so an image starts to kind of form of what Jason is like. What Meredith makes note of before we end the chapter is that Shelby is wearing sunglasses, even though they're inside and outside, it is super gloomy and gray. So her mind kind of wanders a little bit about why that could be. Then we jump back to Kate and we kind of learn a little bit more about the body that was found because that's where we left off Kate and B. So like the little search party meets back up. Um, Josh isn't there and somebody says that he went down to the river to see the body. They'd said that they heard the body was unclothed and collectively everybody gasped. You know, B reacts and says, oh God, and takes, you know, Kate's hand, squeezing her tightly. It's kind of thinking of like, you know, is that Meredith? Like, where's Delilah? Like, and so in the search party too is Jeanette, the midwife that we met earlier. B and Kate um, talk to Jeanette and kind of ask them about Dr. Feingold and find out that the baby, the Tebow baby, had irreparable brain damage and that the Tebows are suing Dr. Feingold for malpractice, which Meredith was supposed to give a, a statement at too. The timing was pretty significant that Shelby went missing and then Meredith, the two people who were witnesses to Dr. Feingold's negligence. Mm -hmm. Later, Josh pulls up and everyone's kind of holding their breath. They said that he looks older than he did when he left that morning. He looks exhausted and he makes his way in. Everyone is really expecting the worst. They're ready for the news about Meredith. They are thinking about funeral arrangements, all of these things, you know, He's completely beside himself and Josh just breaks down on his way up. And when he finally manages to collect himself, he says that it's not her. The body wasn't Meredith. It was that Tebow woman. So the body that was found was not Meredith, but it was Shelby. An officer comes up and they decide that they want to talk to Josh just to get you know, some more information, try to figure out what's going on with Meredith and Delilah. And he was like, you know, if you have something to say about my wife, you can say it in front of everyone. Everyone's here for the same reason to find my family. And they said, there's no news. We just have some questions. So bring him inside and Kate and B take Leo and, you know, head back into the house while Josh is questioned. So we go back to Meredith um, 11 years before in March and she is like trying to sleep and in the middle of the night her cell phone pings. And it's been a few days since she's gotten those like threatening messages. The first thought is that, you know, she has Klein in labor. She has two women that are due soon. But the text message she got, it says, I'm scared. It's from Shelby Tebow. Meredith just assumes like, you know, she's talking about the pregnancy and just like, Yep, you know, like, trying to set boundaries, right? Like, she cares about her clients, but also, like, it's the middle of the night. Shelby's response is just, I'm scared of my husband. And so, of course, Meredith's like, what is going on, right? Like, and so she, like, replies, like, did he hurt you? No response or anything like that. So she, and so she looks again and is like, is everything okay, Shelby? She doesn't get a reply or anything. But she keeps her phone closer just in case. So then we pop back over to Leo. And he ends up knocking on Delilah's door and asks why she isn't sleeping. And so she doesn't speak, but 
he ends up um, doing something, I think, a little unexpected, but he goes into his room and he finds his blankie, his baby blanket, and offers it to Delilah because he couldn't sleep without it. And he says that I think you need it more than me right now and passes it off to Delilah in a very selfless, kind act. Yeah. No, I thought that was very sweet. I was like, okay, Leo. Josh is, you know, being questioned. Kate and B are asked to pick up Leo. So they go over to Charlotte's house and Charlotte's like the neighborhood um, babysitter. It's great, great with kids. They go over to pick up Leo from Charlotte's house. You know, the kids are running around crazy in the house, like just insane. And Charlotte's just like, you know, usually I'd have the kids outside, but the weather. And she's like, downstairs, the darn sump pump went out yesterday and the basement flooded. I don't know about you, but I started to think like, is this the basement where Delilah was held? No. Okay. I don't know if you had that thought. So but my, my mind instantly went to that like... Okay. There was something about it, like, something about Charlotte and, like, it just unsettled me the entire time. Mm -hmm. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like she didn't take accountability for anything that happened with the kids. Like, it was always an excuse. Yeah. And, you know, she would have up to, like, 12 or 13 kids to handle as one person. And they would range in age from, like, infant to, like... yeah late adolescence like it really was too much in my opinion for one person to handle but i didn't have that exact thought but i did get a just a weird vibe about charlotte's house and i just yeah i didn't like it b and kate pick up leo leo just you know says oh well delilah's sick and they're like yep delilah's sick you know they're not really i mean he's four right he's not really understanding like what's going on at all then josh comes over later um, to pick up Leo from Kate and B's house. You know, they just feel still kind of guilty, like, you know, telling Leo that, like, mom's at work, Delilah's sick, you know, just trying to comfort him, you know, as it is. And Joshua said that they asked a lot of questions about her mental health, about whether she'd ever tried to hurt herself or one of the kids. B's like, oh my God, you know, just kind of like very shocked. Like, Josh just told him, like, no, of course not. Like, Meredith was one of the most sound people that he knew. Meredith has always been like the glass half full type. She teaches yoga, meditates, never really had a bad thing to say about anybody. You know, she's just not capable of hurting her kids. Josh also reveals that they found blood in the garage. He says that they're going to test the blood for Delilah's or Meredith's and they'll know soon. And so he talks about how he does have an alibi for that day that it sounds so silly now, but he was playing tennis. Mm -hmm. He says that he was at like the club. Um, that he's ashamed now, but like in reality, like it was just a normal, normal thing Another that he day. did. Yeah. And then they talk about the body that was found. You know, he said it's something that would haunt him for the rest of his life, which, yeah, I mean, I would, I would believe so. Oh, so yeah. Kate asks if, like, do the police think that her husband kills her? And he's not sure. And they were like, well, we heard she was naked, like she wasn't clothed. And she, he said mostly yes, but she was covered up with a blanket. B and Kate find it surprising, especially Kate, because it's unexpected. Like, it's kind of an affectionate thing for someone to do. Not the kind of thing, like, a ruthless killer would be out doing is displaying this, you know, piece of humanity to her even after she's gone. You know, no one knows what to think at this point. Everyone is confused. And 
what's really concerning is that with Shelby dead, Meredith and Delilah are in serious trouble and they need to find them soon. So then we jump back to March, 11 years before um, Meredith's point of view. Her and Josh are talking and Josh asks like, oh, do you have a, a client in labor? And Meredith's like, um, no, why? And Josh says, because I heard your um, your phone going off. And she's like, oh. And she covers up a little bit and with a lie and just says, oh, Braxton Hicks. Meredith, you know, just digging herself in deeper with these lies to Josh. Like she doesn't like um, lying to Josh. In fact, it like never happened until six months ago. With like a random carjacking and then just different things that um, have happened that are making Josh a little bit more apprehensive with Meredith's job. Leo and Meredith end up walking Delilah to school. They take her to the corner and Delilah is trying to catch Piper before she crosses the street because, you know, they're besties. They live across, you know, they're in the same neighborhood. They hang out all the time. And Piper has already crossed the street and she's walking with another little girl, Lily Morris. And Delilah's really upset because now she has to wait. And because she's watching these other girls like walk without her, you know, in her little six-year-old mind, it's like the most devastating thing that she's being left out of the situation. Meredith's like, friendships are hard. Like you'll catch up with them. It'll be okay. And so they go in the building and... The moms, Sandra and Amber, like, walk right past her. Meredith hears the word playdate, and she kind of stiffens, like, okay, so they're having a playdate without Delilah. Like, she doesn't want to get caught up in, in the kindergarten drama of it all, but, like, she doesn't want her daughter to be excluded from things, which rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Meredith is like, well, hello? Hi, Chris- hi, Cassandra? Hi! You know, and she's like, oh, I didn't see you there, Cassandra and her would always talk about how Amber was like over-involved in everything. She's on the PTO. She thinks the school bake sales are like the end-all be-all of the entire world. And now the tables have turned and she's like not trying to take it personally. But there is one reason that Meredith reveals that could potentially be the cause of Cassandra's anger. And that's the fact that you know, besides one too many canceled coffee dates, it's a hazard of her job. It's the hazard of being a doula. It's, she says, it's not like she could know about her husband, Marty and me, unless he told her, but he wouldn't do that. We agreed to keep things secret for Cassandra and Josh's sake. And so you're like, right. (laughs) You're like, I'm sorry. What? Yeah. I like tabbed this. Like it's one of the few things I tabbed. I mean, cause after like, it just started getting crazy, but it was just like, it felt so like out of pocket. Cause I was like, Meredith was just saying, you know, how she, like, doesn't lie to Josh except, like, like the last six months. So, I'm like, wait, is she having an affair? Like, yeah, you know, it just, it seemed very, like, odd for Meredith. Mm -hmm. Like, the wording of it. I mean, clever wording by the author, right? To make you, like, assume assume that. After that, you know, that's kind of tabled for now. But she drops Leo off at Charlotte. She ends up driving to Shelby's house. And she got Shelby's address from the contract that she had signed with her. And when she arrives, Shelby is, like, a different person. She's, like, nothing, not a thought behind those eyes. She was like, you didn't text me back. And Shelby's like, like, how did you, how do you know where I live? What's going on? Why are you here? And she's like, I was concerned because you said you were afraid of your husband and then you never responded to me. What was I supposed to think? You know, she's like, you didn't tell me if you're all right. And she's basically argumentative. And is like, well, why wouldn't I be? And she's like, I don't know, because of your text messages, the ones where you said that you're literally afraid of your husband. I don't understand. I don't get it. She's like, why did you say it? 
and she's like, I don't know. I was mad. We were fighting about something stupid. And she's like, this is this doesn't make sense. Like something is does not make sense here. And she's like, well, did he did he hurt you? And she was like, well, he was really pissed off. And she's like, did he hurt you? To which she like petulantly replies, do I look hurt to you? Like this interaction really upset me. <laughs> Because Shelby had come across as this, like, very timid woman, very, like, uncomfortable, very nervous around her husband. And now someone is here, like, checking on her. But she actually hears a voice that was called from behind. You know, Meredith is like, okay, maybe that's her husband and that's why. Meredith whispers, like, did he hurt you? You can tell me things. I can help. Like, you can talk to me. And she was like, you're sweet, Meredith. I'm really glad I found you. And then closes the door in her face. Yeah, I found that interaction, like, so strange. And obviously the pieces come together a little bit later. But I was, in the moment, I was like, what the fuck? Like, what what the fuck? What are we doing here? Yeah. I don't know. Shelby is just an interesting character to me. Mm-hmm. So we jump to Leo's perspective in the now. Um, and we get the DNA results back. The DNA results reveal that Delilah is Delilah. We find out that uh, Delilah was taken by somebody named Eddie and Martha. And like Josh doesn't know anybody named Eddie and Martha. And so Leo, you know, is just kind of like thinking now, like, did Delilah get stolen somehow? Because like, you know, Josh and Josh took like comfort in the note that said like, you know, you're safe. Like, don't ever go looking for her. You know, Delilah was left with somebody that could like take good care of her so now like leo's starting to question too like you know maybe that's not the way it went down like maybe like what we've believed for the last 11 years isn't the truth we uh, pop back over to kate in may and we find out that she made an appointment with the ob that was being sued by shelby tebow who is now dead and was going to be testified against by Meredith, who is now missing. And B is like, I'm sorry. What what are you doing? And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go have an appointment. I'm going to say that I, I'm pregnant. And she's like, we are gay. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are women together. I don't know if you understand unfortunately it doesn't work like that <laughs> and <laughs> kate's like yeah i'm just gonna tell them i had some like you know positive at home tests and then they're gonna tell me that it's negative because there are false positives and so you know b says she's going with her like she's not gonna let her do this alone especially you know we don't know who he is and what he's capable of at this point yeah she's like we don't have to tell them that we're gay we can say that i'm your friend you know the baby's result of a one-night stand dad couldn't be here yada 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 she won't be talked out of it she's going and um she basically is like well it won't be hard to fake the nausea considering all the things that are going on right now but yeah mm-hmm yep so then we um move into 11 years before in april so we're getting closer to the the date where they go missing. And so Meredith gets a text that um, a client goes into labor. 
And so it's a Saturday. Josh is at home. He's at a work baseball game. So she has to try to figure out somewhere to take the kids. She is like, you know what? I could call somebody, but, you know, they're less likely to turn turn me down if I show up. So she walks over to Cassandra's house. Marty answers the door, Cassandra's husband, who, as we remember, is also the one that, you know, Meredith said that, like, that Cassandra doesn't know about her and Marty. We find out that Meredith and Marty went to the same college um, in Indiana, but that Josh and Cassandra don't know that they dated and that they were basically like first loves like that, that time of their life there. Yeah, I was very relieved to find out it was not an actual yes. like affair that was happening right then. It was a previous relationship. Yep. They I don't think they really ever planned on like not telling them, but like it just never um never came up like when they first when they met as a couple, as like their new like marriages. Um it was at a barbecue, Marty and Cassandra had just moved to the neighborhood. And they just kind of like reintroduced themselves and just started fresh. And so it's, you know, kind of what Meredith doesn't want to like, you know, once a lie is told, like it's hard to kind of go back on that. Right. So Meredith realizes that Cassandra was like just about to leave to run errands. So like she can't leave the kids there. So she just kind of makes up an excuse as to why she stopped by just about like having a play date piper and delilah so then she tries to find a second option of now to where like the kids could go so she goes over to b who takes charge again relief overwhelms meredith b watches the kids while meredith goes to her birth and um as she's leaving she does get one more text message from that unknown number it says, I hope you haven't forgotten about me because I haven't forgotten about you. Oh, it's... Meredith and the sketchy text messages. I know. You know, just still more uneasiness. But we are then taken back to Kate in May, 11 years before. And this, she's in Dr. Feingold's office. And what does she do? She literally goes through and fakes a full pregnancy does a full pelvic exam does everything and you know she feels more or less violated by him because of like in stark contrast to her OBGYN like how rough he is how he doesn't you know explain anything he doesn't really ask for consent he doesn't do any of these things but also because Kate is like fully convinced that he's a murderer at this point and so she just feels like, yeah, I don't know, like d desecrated by him. Like she just feels gross after it. But she does ask him about Meredith in a very roundabout way about doulas, if he knows Meredith. But he is like, stay away from that dicky woman. Like if you do hire someone, I don't believe in doulas. She's no good. They get through the rest of the appointment and everything is just very uncomfortable through the entire process, but they're kind of doing like their own detective work and B starts to get really concerned because like they should be leaving this up to the police basically. 
Mm-hmm. So then we go to Meredith, um, 11 years before in April. Um, Shelby, her client, um, goes into labor and is two weeks early. So Meredith goes to the hospital, um, Shelby's birth, and Meredith and Dr. Feingold, the obstetrician, are just not not seeing eye to eye. As we know, like we already don't have a fond perception of this doctor. Mm-hmm. And he just, the way he treats like Shelby is like, you know, doesn't really wait for her consent for things, takes like, you know, silence or like a scream as a yes. And so Meredith is just really trying to advocate for Shelby that she just doesn't feel like this doctor really even cares. And so the baby is having a hard time coming out. The one thing Shelby wanted was a healthy baby. So Meredith, you know, suggests a C-section and Dr. Feingold's like, nah, we can just use these forceps and pull the baby out. And, you know, Shelby just is like, you know, at that time, like in a ton of pain and just like get the baby out of me. Dr. Feingold takes that as like consent to just use the forceps, pulls the baby out. And as we know from Jeanette, the midwife telling us too, that the baby has irreversible brain damage, more than Mm -hmm. likely from this um, method of getting the baby out. And then we pop back over to Kate and B, and they've left the office, and B is furious at Kate for, um, you know, confronting Dr. Feingold about Meredith, about really putting herself in a compromising position. And they have an argument, but on the way home, Kate notices in her rearview mirror that someone is driving, like, very close to them. And so she starts getting a little paranoid, but now she's taking sharp turns and they're following they are speeding up they're they're trailing them she's getting really really freaked out so she ends up pulling into the police station and they finally pass by and they couldn't get a look at the the license plate but she just has this like sick feeling after not only the horrible exam that she just had, but also now feeling like she's being watched, they're being followed, and that it could very well be related to the shady, like, personal detective work that they had just done. Nancy Drew over here. Again, (laughs) here we go. Nancy Drew 2.0, I swear. Right? Like, they're going to fall off the edge of a cliff, and they're going to be like, would you like to try again? (laughs) And then you try again, and she's like, it's locked. Looks like I need a key to get in. (laughs) Then we go back to Leo. And he talks about how it's um, Delilah's third day home. And Delilah's talking about some kid named Gus. Josh, the dad, asks a little bit more about Gus. Like, who's Gus? Josh is like, there's another kid. Like, he goes white and obviously, like, steps away and calls the cops and be like, you know, there's another kid there. Um, somebody got left behind and so they go down to the police station and just kind of question Delilah about Gus and just try to figure out like if any of these missing kids are Gus you know like someone's child is still missing and mine is home and like that Josh just can't have that on his conscience at all we find out too after this we are back to Meredith but now we're in May she gets a call from Dr. Feingold after the malpractice suit was served or the medical malpractice complaint had come through. And basically he called her and was like, if this was your idea, I will ruin you. Do you hear me? I will ruin you. And she is shaking because she's like, how, 
will he ruin her? Will he ruin her career? Like, is he going to harm her? You know, just really upset with everything that's going on. But all of this stuff has been bubbling over and she still hasn't told Josh anything. And so she's like, well, I know I can trust him, but he would be really disappointed about the threatening texts. He would double down on how concerned he is about her and her well-being. And she just wants everything to blow over. So she does not tell Josh. Nope. And then we go back to Leo and he tells Delilah that around the same time she disappeared, some other lady did. And so we know that he's talking about Shelby. He said for a while that the cops thought it was all connected, which we know from the flashbacks, right? So did Kate and B. Like, there he went to Dr. Feingold and thought that was all connected there, too. And Leo reveals that now, like, that lady's husband is in the slammer. He has, like, 20 to life because they found her bloody clothes in a dumpster behind where he worked. Leo also says that they found Eddie and Martha, who lived in Michael, Illinois. But Gus was nowhere in sight, but there was blood in the basement. We move into what I think is the first major question answered in this book before the rest of the twists and turns that we hit. <laughs> yes. And so... <laughs> Meredith is like... Cassandra's been such a good friend to me. I'm going to pick up a cake. I'm going to stop by her house. I'm going to check in and see how she's doing. And... She's, like, very curt with her, very short, all of these things. And so Cassandra's like, you know, I'm glad you stopped by. You know, I have something to show you. Cassandra brings a book to the table, and it's a photo album. And she's like, this is weird because no one keeps pictures anymore because everything is digital. Cassandra thumbs through to a certain page. Meredith immediately knows what it is. She points to a picture. And in that picture is Meredith and Marty together. I was like, oh no. And so she's like, why wouldn't you have told me unless there's something else going on now? Meredith's like, it wasn't really like a lie as it was so much an omission. Like we don't know each other now. Um, you know, nothing has happened between us in 18 years. There was no need to revisit it. Cassandra's like, well, I don't believe you. Like basically, bitch, shut up. Like I, I don't believe anything that you're saying. I can see why she would be furious, especially if it was kept from her. But she really just like does not believe a single word that Meredith is saying. And so she was like, that was a long time. You know, it was only young love. And then Meredith is like immediately regrets using the word love. Cassandra basically like spits in her face, more or less, uh, about everything that's going on. Like you've been keeping secrets from me. She asked if Josh knows about it. And... It gets from bad to worse because she's like, well, did you sleep with Marty? Did you do these things? And she's like, 18 years ago? Like, not now. But come to find out, Marty's been exhibiting some shady, shady behavior. He's been doing some stuff, sneaking off. And Cassandra's like, well, obviously he's doing it with you. Okay, side note real quick. Do we think that yeah. Marty and Shelby... Shelby... Mm-hmm. I thought about it. Um, the only thing that stops me from thinking that is that it says that the baby went off to live with his biological dad or her biological dad when But she was but, but she was sleeping with other people after the baby was born. So like you know where she was going true. to meet Sam, you know the mm -hmm. um Yeah 
the yeah. quote unquote like she met Sam guy. when she was pregnant. Yeah, and so like it, when I, she was like running, my mind when she was like running at 10 p.m. You know, like, and she says yeah. here, like, because um, Cassandra says like the 10 p.m. ice cream runs, and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I definitely, I think it must have been then, um, because they were only blocks from each other, yeah, and you know things just got worse because. Meredith was pregnant at some point with Marty's child and she Mm -hmm. miscarried. And so she basically is like, are you still sleeping with my, like, are you fucking my husband? What's, what's going on? And she's like, no, of course not. And she's like, I'm not stupid. Yeah, that has to be it. Cause she's like, he keeps forgetting to put on his ring. And she mentioned that Sam takes off his ring and puts it on Mm -hmm. the dash. So yeah, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely it so cassandra's like parroting like marty and i marty and i like really just childishly screaming at her about all of this because she has her mindset that this is what's happening now as you know meredith's leaving cassandra screams barks out i hope you rot in hell meredith i hope you rot in hell which who else said that who else said i hope you rot in hell meredith those incriminating those intimidating text messages yep and that flashes through Meredith's fine and she's like holy shit and she's like it was you like you're the one who's been sending me these texts you've been following me and she's like she goes you're the one who's been been trying to scare the shit out of me and she's like well did it work and she's like I mean were you following me and Cassandra's like, you know, if I was, would it be anywhere as awful as what you've done and what you're still doing? And it Meredith knows at this point that she is she will not take no for an answer. Like she truly just doesn't believe her and she will never believe her. So the next day they invite Lily Morris over to play with Piper on the lawn in front of Delilah and don't invite her as a way to kind of get back, which I thought was like, like really disgusting and petty to, you know, use her child against her. And then again, if she believed with her whole chest that, you know, not only did they withhold that they had known each other before, but they're still continuing a relationship now, the the rage and the fury might have blinded some moral guidelines, you know? Still wrong, but... Yeah, and I mean, like, obviously, like, Cassandra was pretty, like, bent out of shape, because I'm just like, you buy a burner phone to, like, text her, you know? Like, I just... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Pretty intense, Cassandra, so, like, yep. don't put anything so, past her. It was. It was a lot. Yeah, I mean, this is this is this the is, chapter. This, is, this is the chapter. This is it. This is it. This is when it starts. This is when it's... You guys, you guys, this is it. We're here. There's a couple of little things that we've glossed over, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we're here now. Yep. I... Okay, this book... I'm not going to lie. There was never a point in this book where I was bored. And going through the details now, knowing what we know at the end feels a little, like, painful. But... When I was reading it from page one all the way to the last page, there was never a time where I was like, I'm so bored. No. But, like, from here, like... Not one time. I mean, I was pretty tired. Like, I was, like... I was telling Bert earlier um, that, you know, I, like, try to make a plan of, like, reading, like, 50 pages a day to kind of get caught up. So, like, I hit my 50 pages, like, just right before this... Right after this chapter, I think, for the day. 
roughly. I don't know. I might have read mm-hmm. a little over. But, like, I couldn't stop after this. Like, I had to read the last, um, whatever, 100 pages. Like, could not stop after this chapter. Um, so, this is the chapter. This is Meredith, 11 years before, in May. She decides to come clean to Josh. And so, they have a little date night. They go out for some drinks and dancing. It might not be the right time to actually tell Josh everything that's happened. You know, because they're just having no. such a good night. Because they're having, like, yeah. a moment, you know. They're just about to, like, wrap up and go home and, you know, spend some quality time as husband and wife. B and Kate show up. And it just happens to be B's birthday. So Josh and Meredith cannot leave. So they are roped into staying a little bit longer for a couple more drinks and dancing. Yeah, so Josh gets a phone call that... You know, Delilah had a nightmare. She's inconsolable. So the moment's off. They got to get home. And so B is like begging Kate to just stay for one more drink, one more drink. And Kate's like, listen, it's getting late. I have to work. She has surgeries in the morning. She needs to go. And so Meredith's like, well, why don't you go ahead? Josh, you give Kate a ride home because we're next door neighbors. You go check on the kids. I'll stay with B for one more birthday drink and we'll meet you guys in a little bit. And Josh is like, hell yeah. Let me know when you get home. (laughs) Like, perfect. And so they dance some more. They're having so much fun. They're laughing in the elevator. They're just letting loose fully. And at the end of this chapter, it says, they say most accidents happen within five miles of a person's home. I never see it coming. So like... Right there, my mind jumped to like, did somebody die? You know, like B or Kate, right? Like, yeah, B, Kate, or like, you know, I was like, well, Meredith's missing. I was like, well, Kate's narrating, B's in there. Like, so, like, what the hell happened? <laughs> Kate reveals that three things happen in the coming days. So, the first thing is a paternity test um, administered by the police. With Jason's permission, reveals that Jason Tebow is not the father of the baby. The second thing that comes about is that um, a nurse from Dr. Feingold's office calls and says that Kate's not pregnant, which we knew, you know. <laughs> that's not that's not big yeah. news there. <laughs> I was... Okay, but was a part of you waiting for it to be, like, yeah. positive? <laughs> so... I was like, watch it, watch it be I was positive. like, why are we spending so like, much just time on this? <laughs> yeah. And the search for Meredith and Delilah continues and then kind of stalls. And people just start to lose hope on this. You know, their lives move on when Josh and Meredith and Delilah's just don't. Kate wakes up to a ping on her phone of a picture of a license plate number. Meredith's car was found at a motel. They make their way down to the motel. Detectives are there you know people are trying to get in but they've marked it off as a crime scene and you know she asks if josh can speak to them they go to a spot far enough away where no one can hear but everyone can see as everyone is looking josh just falls to his knees and he's sobbing he's screaming and he just like this desperate cry of no just leaves him and you know, he's described as turning, like, feral, rabid, just, like, very primal as he's smacking the ground, just screaming why. 
why. And so we can conclude that they found Meredith at the motel, just given his reaction. We go back to Meredith's May, which the beginning of May. And Meredith says her eyes are closed. She's just belting out the refrain to a song. Um, she doesn't know the words, but she just makes them up. And they just sound perfect to her. Her and B are just laughing. She says that B must see something. like Because she just like like gasps a second before impact. And then she hears it only like in retrospect. And there's an impact. A, a dull, heavy thud. And then it's quiet. And Meredith like, you know, sobers up, like jerks up in her seat. Um, and she's stunned, like her eyes go wild. And B tries slamming on the brakes, but because of the speed of the car, it just is going so fast. The car runs over whatever they just hit. Meredith is drunk. She's buzzed. So everything feels like it's happening in slow motion. Like, you know, that feeling where you feel like you're in a fishbowl and it takes like everything a second to kind of catch up. Meredith's feeling disconnected, but she's kind of coming to and B is like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And she's like, you know, it's okay. Like, if the animal's dead, there's nothing we can do. If it's alive, we can call Kate. Kate's a veterinarian. She can help. And B turns to Meredith and grabs her arm so tightly that it, like, hurts her and says, you can't tell anybody about this. Do you hear me, Meredith? You have to promise me that. Do you promise? And it's like she instantly sobered up. She's like, get a grip. Like, people hit animals all the time. Like, what are you talking about? What's going on? B demands, like, promise me. And she says, I promise, you know, I won't say a thing. She was like, you know, when I was 16, I ran over, like, a litter of raccoons. Which, by the way, I love raccoons so much. Like, when I see a raccoon on the side of the road, it physically hurts right? me. I identify strongly with raccoons. <laughs> They're chonky. They have dark circles. They eat garbage. They come out at night. Like, it's all me embodied in an animal. Yeah, full disclosure. Um, we're recording this at, like, 4 a.m. Um, <laughs> Brittany's time, <laughs> Eastern. So... <laughs> I am, I am slowly losing it, but we have to get through this. Like we're, we're committed at this point. Um, <laughs> it's fine. B is screaming. She's like, it wasn't a fucking raccoon. And she's like, okay, then what was it? And she's never seen this side of B before. Like B is scared. She's staring at her. She's wild eyes. And she's like, B, what did you hit? And so Meredith gets out of the car and kind of staggers out, just preparing herself for the worst. And then she sees it's it's not an animal at all. Um, it's a person. It's a female based on the hair length and the body shape. She is face down on the ground. B steps out of the car and she is pissed because she's like, she should have been wearing a reflective hat. Like she have been wearing a headlight, anything. Meredith just kind of drops to her knees and B is like, don't touch her. And she's like, we have to, bro, go, be, we have to, we have to help her. We just, we hit a person. Like, we need to help her. She's like, of course, we're not going to leave her here. Just help me. And not what Meredith expected, because B just puts on some gloves and scoops her up. And it's like, follow me. Let's carry her. And Meredith is like, is she is she alive? Like, is she breathing? 
they try to turn her over. You know, you're not supposed to move someone who's injured. So she's freaking out. And, you know, Meredith is completely disassociating from what's happening. And B is like, B panicked is terrifying. Yes. Like, B is very, was like made out to be this very unassuming person. But she is, she's screaming. She's telling her, like, shut the fuck up. Like, all of these things. And so she's like, you're going to wake up the whole street. So you need to shut up and get yourself together. So she presses a hand to Meredith's mouth. And she, you know, is trying to trying to breathe. Who who is the woman on the street? So if we remember the prologue of the woman that was running late at night and a random car was going way too fast, <laughs> we can connect the dots that it was Shelby. <laughs> that Shelby Tebow was the roadkill. From here on, it is chaos in this book. They are frantic. They're panicking. B refuses to let Meredith use her phone. She refuses to call for help. She's like, she's dead. There's nothing we can do. She's not breathing. She's dead. She's like, of course we can't leave her here. We need to get rid of her. And so Meredith is horrified, but B is like, chop, chop. Let's go. We got to move her. And she's like, no, no. Like, what? And she's like, yeah, yeah, let's, we're going to take her somewhere secluded. She won't be found. Everything's fine. She's trying to like talk sense into her. And B is like, listen, I know you're upset. This woman is dead. There's nothing we can do for her. We were both drinking. We're going to go to jail. We got it. We just, we have to get rid of her. They're arguing back and forth. And what ends up happening is they pick Shelby up, put her in B's trunk, and they drive to the edge of the woods where Shelby was ultimately found. Meredith freaks out because she thinks that she hears like a moan or a sound come out of Shelby. And B convinces her that it's just like a post-mortem like, like air. Yeah. Air being released. Yeah. The amount of times B just screams at Meredith to shut the <laughs> fuck up from here to the end of the book is outrageous. I get it. Understood. So, but B is basically like, I'm not going to jail. I refuse to go to jail. We're not doing that. So they take her out. Meredith has no, no clue what's happening. It is raining as it has been for like 97% of the book. They carry Shelby deeper into the woods. She's hard to hold on to. The ground is soft. They're tripping. They're sinking into the mud. But here it's dark. It's secluded. It's quiet. And they don't have to worry about being caught. So they bury her. They cover her with tree branches. They dig as far as they can. They cover her body. B is like, well, if we, you know, B is like taking her clothes off and... All Meredith can think is like how much dignity she's stripping from her in her final moments. She is like, well, if she's naked, if we take her clothes off, then it implies something sexual happened, that it was likely a man that did this to her. It's just crazy to me that like Bee's like, like coming up with all this stuff like so quickly, you know? It, it made me go like, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, is, it, mm -hmm. but yeah. So they they get some bleach. They ditch the clothes. She forces Meredith to strip in in the in the yard. Go upstairs and go clean herself off. 
B is going to get rid of the clothes and she tells her to go home to your husband and kids and forget everything that happened tonight. Also, do we think that the people that Cassandra saw in the yard was B and Meredith? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. 100%. When I was reading, it like kind of slipped my mind, but when we went back earlier and re like mentioned mm -hmm. it again, I was like, that had to yeah. be B and Meredith. I feel like there's just so many connections and the way that they tied together is like it's crazy and you got like we're not even like it's like those infomercials like the sham wow or the oxyclean like but wait there's more <laughs> yep that's where we leave uh, meredith and b for right now um and we jump to present day with leo um and then leo reveals that he went to school today but delilah and um his dad went to hypnosis like Josh doesn't want Leo to fall behind in school or anything. And so it's revealed that Delilah did make Gus up. She reveals that under hypnosis and Leo just like, you know, is still kind of upset and is just like, she's a liar, like being really rude and just kind of like, yeah, you know, he, I mean, he ends his chapter two with like, well, nobody asks about my day. So you can just tell like poor Leo is just very like put on the back burner. Yeah. I had to remind myself that, like, this is the perspective of a 15-year-old boy who lost his mom and his sister when he was four years old. Yep. Like, the chapters were sometimes hard to stomach with how, like, crass mm -hmm. he was and how, like, non-empathetic he was. But, you know, it, it makes sense in the context of his situation, so. But then we're taken back to Meredith, and Meredith is, like, not good, uh, no, <laughs> she's trying to act normal, but she's getting sick and blaming it on the alcohol. But it's definitely not from the alcohol. No. The police and everyone kind of descend upon the neighborhood once the news breaks that Shelby never returned home. And no one comes to her for questions, but she just she can't shake this feeling. So one day she gets in the car. She drops the kids where they need to be. She drives to the store and she buys a blanket. If you remember, Josh had said that Shelby was mostly naked, save for a blanket, and B was surprised about it. And that's because Meredith went back to Shelby's body and covered her with a blanket to try and give her a little bit of dignity. She can't unsee the things that she's seen with her body, how decomposition has been setting in, how the, you know, the bugs and, and the creatures in the area have started to to come to her so she says that when she thinks of her she's alone but at least she's not cold and it's the only thing that can get meredith through the night oh meredith such a good heart but you dug yourself into this hole meredith you could have just left with josh v does come over almost every day and just kind of checks in on meredith when she's home alone you know meredith just has like so many questions like what did you do with my clothes what did you do with shelby's clothes it's hard for meredith because she has to hide everything from Josh and the rest of the world. And when B is over, like she feels like she can talk freely. And B notices that like Meredith is just like not doing her normal things. Like she's not, you know, going to her yoga class and teaching. Like she's not taking on clients. And it's just like B's like, you need to act normal. Like we we said that we were gonna forget about it. And Meredith still thinks like they should contact the police. And B's like, no, we're not not going to do that. Like, 
it's not like they just like you know uh, stepped on a bug like they killed somebody um like b killed somebody um and and then concealed yeah. her body like right? removed her uh, it just makes you think like because you know earlier in the book too when they talk about how yep. like you know meredith was found and like leo says like she'd like tried to slit her own wrists and everything like you know did this guilt get to meredith is kind of where where i feel like it's leading could is she like, just not handle it anymore it's weird but then we we get a little more info too because we pop back to leo over at school and piper hanaka comes up to leo and you know piper is cassandra's daughter um and you know they were friends with delilah and now they're older and piper doesn't really talk to leo because leo's the weird kid at school but she comes up to him and is like i saw delilah's picture in the paper and she's like it's really sad you know it's supposed to be happy because she's you know she's back like what happened and so piper says that her mom made her like get rid of everything pretty much any evidence that she had that she was ever friends with delilah because it would just be better to just forget and move on you know she used to have she says like half of a best friend's necklace that she shared with delilah very like really cute elementary school type things and so she said her mom let her keep one picture of delilah and he's like well that's that's cool like she shows leo the picture and delilah's small and you know her and piper's faces are smashed side by side they're smiling just really cute she said she was digging around the on the internet to trying to figure out if cleft chins are one of those things that goes away and they're not so he's like no matter what the kids say like he's not an idiot and he knows what piper means but he doesn't really know how to feel about it so piper cut out the picture of the newspaper held them side by side they're mostly similar the red hair the green eyes except for the cleft chin and so leo never noticed before because like it's not something that's super obvious it's on the smaller side but like it 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 never goes away the delilah that's currently at home does not have a cleft chin anymore and leo had done some digging on the internet and realized that like the only way to get rid of a cleft chin is with surgery brings it up to his dad and he shows him he flies off the handle he is mad at leo for making stuff up but you know he said the dna test was conclusive it was conclusive but you know leo's like let's just see so they go to the police station go to the lady cop one of her what leo calls her henchmen and she's really dismissive she's like you can't just expect people to look the same that they did when they were six especially when they were like tortured and abused and traumatized and so josh asks like what if the dna test got it wrong and they're like well dna tests are extremely reliable and he's like well i would like to see those results and this is where you know that some fuck shit happened you know she just kind of holds still the henchman's like well i can get the results and she's like no no i will get the i will get i will get the results i'll get them it's fine i'll i will get them you know the dna report wasn't in the file things start you know going back and forth and she's she stops typing when they're going to enter it in and she's like i i forgot my password just give me a minute and she snaps at him and is like don't no one else try anything stop it you can see what happens and she tells josh like they had been together through all of all of the trials of this case the ups the downs the the good the bad the ugly she was like you were hellbent on searching until delilah came home i told myself long ago that i was in this for the long haul and if you weren't if you weren't giving up neither was i 
And so she, you know, got the call that they had been waiting for. And when the results came back, they were negative. And she lied. Lady cop, what the heck? I, that's, I, like, I, I, I understand what your intentions were, but I also don't. Like, that is someone else's child. Right? Like, that is another family that's been looking for their child. That is their child. This is not Delilah. Everyone cries. Delilah's like, but you're my daddy. And Leo's in tears. No one knows what to do. It's just, it's so bad. So... That's not actually Delilah. So we have no <laughs> who idea this lady is. where Delilah <laughs> is, if she's safe, who this girl yeah. is, if she's alive. Like, we right? know nothing. Like, that's the crazy part is just like, what? Like, where's the real Delilah? Where? And we only have like 40 There's pages So left. many more questions than answers at this point. If you have not read the book. Mm-hmm. And you want to just pause now, read the last thirty-six pages. <laughs> Seriously, you will not be disappointed. Seriously. It's amazing. They're amazing. So what happens next is we come to Meredith in May, um, eleven years before, and um, in the middle of the night, Delilah wakes up, is just like sobbing. She has spiked a fever, so Meredith, you know, gives her some some medicine and kind of tries to comfort her. Meredith, you know, just like goes back to bed and. The window's cracked and she's just like at a point where she's like at she says she's at the end of a rope and she just can't keep living with the secret she needs to go to the police and she just needs to like come clean of what they've done and just suffer the consequences like um mm-hmm. jason deserves closure shelby's husband you know and just different things and she finally falls asleep and josh is gone in the morning when she wakes up delilah's still sick leo's awake and taking leo to charlotte's or not um, but she's like, you know what? He's like on a routine. Don't want to like get him off the routine. So I guess let's take him to Charlotte since Delilah's sick. We are going to do our best to describe what happens. But like when I tell you that even like, just, just read it. Just please <laughs> read it. Even if, even if you listen and you didn't just read it because the, I have, I don't remember the last time I physically got chills yeah. from a book. Like she's checking on Delilah. She goes out to the garage. Was going to grab her phone from the garage, and Delilah's asleep. So the garage is detached. It's you know a few feet from the house. It's wet again because it's of course raining again because it's always raining in this book. Steps out the back door and she pulled the door shut, and she just like doesn't like the way that she feels as she turns her back to it. So you know Delilah won't be alone long. She'll be back in in thirty seconds, and it'll be fine. She goes inside the car, opens the passenger door, and, you know, her purse spills out, and then she hears a voice that says, good morning, Meredith. Yep. And it's B standing in the garage. Yep. And B just, like, tells Meredith, like, you don't look good. And, you know, Meredith just, like, says that she feels, like, weak in comparison to B. Right. And she just, her heart's thumping and she just confesses to be like, you know, every time I close my eyes, I see her. Like, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep living like this. And B's just like very serious and like warns her like, no, you need to get your shit together. 
Like, we're so close to getting away with this. The husband's already guilty. Like, he'll be arrested soon. And then everything can go back to normal. They, like, Meredith is, like, pleading with B. Like, we can get a good lawyer. Josh knows people. And she even is like, I will take the fall. Like, you don't even have to be involved. I, I will take the fall for this. And she's like, you couldn't have pulled this off without me. We, you needed two people to move that body. There's no way you could have done that on your own. Meredith is just trying to remind her, like, we took a life. Like, we need to take responsibility for that. The phone is there. Meredith reaches for it. As she does that, they start to, like, toss hands, basically, <laughs> over this phone. And she tries to rip it out of her hands. Meredith shoves her. She doesn't mean to. It's just a reaction. But B ends up into the sheathing in the garage, which has exposed nails on it. They lanced her arm, so she's bleeding, but she's slowed down. So she uses it to her advantage to try and get away, to call the police, lock her out. So she snatches the phone because B is like, they said Meredith is what, like maybe a hundred pounds soaking wet. And B is like this six foot tall woman who's like very, very large, very like just brooding. There's no way Meredith could have overpowered B. Yeah. You know, she's like, give me the phone, give me the phone. And B picks up a hammer. She's screaming, like, give me the fucking phone. Like, do not fucking test me. And Meredith is like, what are you going to do to me? Like, what are you going to do? She's not Shelby. She had no affinity to Shelby, but she knows Meredith. Like, nothing would happen. So she turns away. She's going to go call the police. But when she turns, she sees Delilah standing in the garage door. And she's holding a TV remote. She's, you know, she has a fever. She's sick. And she's like, mommy, like the remote's not working. The remote's ju- the remote doesn't work. And as Delilah says this, Meredith feels a pain from the hammer striking her head. Then we go to Leo in the present day. Um, and we find out that the real DNA match is to a, is to a missing kid, Carly, who disappeared about a week after Delilah did, um, somewhere around St. Louis. So the cops bring Carly, who's not Delilah, back to the house to get her stuff, let her go upstairs and grab anything that she had, which she doesn't have like anything, so I'm not really sure what they were looking to get. Carly runs away. And then we're back with Meredith, and things are, like, her senses are slowly coming back to her. Her hearing, her vision is slowly coming in. And she realizes that she is in the backseat of her own car. So she's sitting up, and she is demanding to know where Delilah is. And B is at the helm. B is driving the car. You know, she's like, what did you do with her? What did you do with my daughter? Like, where is Delilah? And she's like, oh, you're awake. Hi. And she's like, what did you do with Delilah? Her lack of response makes her super frantic. And so she tries to jump out of the car. There's a child lock. She tries to jump into the front seat. B still has that fucking hammer. Or wait, not even the hammer. I think she has a knife now, right? B has a knife on the front seat. Yeah. And she's like, B's like, what the fuck do you think you're doing? And she's like, what do you, what, what am I doing? The fuck are you doing? What, what, are, you, what are you doing? Not me, you. They fight back and forth. B drives through town after town until they're at this really shady rundown motel. 
And she tells Meredith that she's going to go in there and she's going to pay for a room for one month. She's going to pay in cash. You know, B threatens Delilah's life. She's like, if you don't do what I say, basically, like, do you want something bad to happen to Delilah too? Like, do you want something bad to happen to her? I don't think so. So B takes Meredith out and makes her write a note that says Delilah is safe. She is fine. And she said, you, you just do it. You write this down. She says, I need you to write it down what you say. So she agrees. She writes it down. She thinks that she plans to leave them in this dingy motel for a month and say that they ran away. Not a bad plan. And then she can kind of figure out where to go from here. Except that's not what happens. Nope. Well, Meredith's like confused though. Like why didn't B bring Delilah with her? So she must have a reason, you know, as to why Meredith holds the paper out, gives it to B and then B says, just set it on the dresser. Like you understand this needs to look like a suicide. And that's when like Meredith, like hears the words, but they don't like interpret like what she actually means by that. And so she has like no time to react to what B's going to do next. So a second later, B takes the knife and slices across her wrists. You know, B just like basically says like, you did this to yourself, Meredith. If only you could have kept your mouth shut. And like B feels like she has like no choice and that she told her so many times like she can't go to jail. And like what else did like we expect B to do? Yeah. And... Yeah, this was this was rough. And she's like, I am so fucking sorry, Meredith. Like, are are you? Because she then takes the knife and pops it into her abdomen and is like, you basically left me no choice. Um, you know, why couldn't you just leave it be? And she couldn't stand to watch or hear Meredith pass away. So she covers her ears and Meredith collapses onto the motel floor. And she thinks what a relief it is to lie down. She's so tired. And for the first time in days, I think that I could sleep. Poor Meredith. I know. And then we jump to Kate's perspective. But now. So up until now, right? We've only had Kate's perspective 11 years ago. And Leo's perspective now. So now Kate's, we're caught up with her. So we catch up to Kate now, um, and her and B are in the kitchen, and the doorbell rings. You know, she just had a rough, a rough day, and so she like looks to B like, "Are you expecting somebody?" B's like, "No, I don't, I don't think so." And so it's around five o'clock. At the door is Josh and Leo, and it just kind of takes Kate back eleven years to when Josh and Leo were at her door before when Delilah and Meredith went missing, and so B just you know asks like, "What what's wrong?" And Josh just says she's run away. Kate just likens it to the night again that uh, Meredith and Delilah first disappeared. And B asks, like, Delilah ran away? And uh, Josh answers, yes, no. Well, it's, it's a long story. The girl, after years, I feel like, of Leo being, like, not seen, like, he wants to make sure, like, you know, people have their moment too so when like I feel like his dad is like you know the girl and he's like no Carly like her name is Carly I feel like he just kind of like stands up for her because like nobody really was there for like him and the police officers are there and what do they want to do they want to go look around the property this is the moment that it hit me this is the moment when I went oh fuck yep 
They have a soundproof garage. They sure do. They have a music studio that Kate never goes into to leave B alone and leave her her peace. And, nope. you know, they ask if they can search it to look for Carly because they don't know when she got out, how long she's been gone. And B walks up and she's like, oh, oh, it's locked. Oh, no. Oh, darn. No, oh, oh, darn. It's locked. Oh, it must have been. It's been locked this whole time. There's no way anything's in there. And Kate immediately has this, like, feeling that's like, oh, no, oh, no. Oh, no. You know, she's like, if I if I was B right now, I would open the door and let him see for himself just to yeah clear my name. And the police officer's like, are you saying you won't open the door? Or, and she's like, no, I'm just, I'm just saying that I don't see how anyone could have possibly gotten in there when the door's been locked all day. So, you know, Josh is like, we don't know how long the girl has been gone. And Leo interrupts him again and is like, Carly, her name is Carly. Like, mm. yeah. you know, B walks off and she's like, you know, I was just trying to save you time. Let me go ahead. Let me go get the key. So she walks away. She walks away and she just doesn't come back. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. She just keeps walking, probably goes into a jog and a run. She takes off. She, you know, fades off into the night. (laughs) Yep. And then so Kate goes goes after her, like, okay, what's taking her so long? Like, Beak, like, calls after her, but she's only, like, met with silence. And she looks at the brass pegs where the keys are at, and only her keys are there. And she, like, tries to look for B, and the house is empty. Kate's just mad, scared, confused, like, kind of, like, what's going on? And then she sees a text from B that just says, forgive me, I didn't mean for any of it to happen. And so now, like... Kate's like freaking out, like, um, forgive you for what? Where are you? And like B, of course, like doesn't say anything and kind of is wondering like yeah. what what is she running from? You know? Kate goes back outside and says, like, she's gone. Josh's like, what do you mean she's gone? They're all just kind of confused, like, I don't know what it means. Yeah. And the officer's like, Can you just let us inside the garage, ma'am? Like, let's go. She's like, I don't I don't know where the key is. You know, Kate admits that like she never goes in there, that it's B's space, that like she never really thought to have a key like she had a key at one point said they got new locks to it so it just never like crossed her mind and so the officers asked like do we have permission to just knock the door down and kate's like yeah of course yeah, like, like bust that shit down go for it like knock it down what's in there yeah and so at first they just kind of see just like the music equipment you know josh tries to follow but they were like you need to stay put from where this from where kate was standing she could barely see the officers and then all of a sudden they point upward to the attic. So they move upstairs. There's a door at the top. They they bust that shit down. And there's a scream that reaches them downstairs. And it's a girl. The girl that Josh and Leo are looking for. But why would, you know, Kate's like, why would B keep this girl in there? You know, she can think of no reasons Kate just kind of falls to the ground. Josh breaks off into a run. And when the police officers return with the girl, when she emerges, she's not the same girl that was seen on the news. She's not bruised. She's not malnourished. She's not battered. She's a spitting image of Meredith with her red hair, her freckles, 
the eyes the exact same. She's just no longer the little girl. She's clean. She's well fed. And Josh falls to the ground and she just cries out, Daddy, and runs to him. And it was Delilah. Actually, Delilah. The real Delilah. Oh my God. Right? And it's just like everybody's kind of at a loss for words. Like, how, like, how did. Like, how did she survive? Like, what is, like, how long has she been there? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Different things like that. Delilah just answers, like, I was there when she killed mommy. Yep. And just Kate is just very much, you know, just still screaming, no, like, how, you know, how is your partner over 10 plus years? Like, literally, Delilah's been in your garage. Like, the girl that you've been looking for for 11 years has been there this whole time. Yeah. So, I mean, the police question Kate because they're like, how the fuck did you not know? But why Why would you even think that of your partner? Like, she just, she, she can't believe that this is what happened. And she realizes as everything unfolds that B did kill Meredith. Delilah recounts what happened with the hammer, how she got up there. She has been kept upstairs. She's been fed. But she's been looking out a window for the last 11 years, watching her family, watching her dad, watching her brother in the backyard, watching them grow up while she's just been upstairs in an attic in the garage. You know, she's been sleeping on an air mattress. Kate is obviously distressed because she's like, she can't believe that someone she loved would ever be capable of something like this. But they end up finding Carly. They get her home to her family. A few days later, B is captured. She's, you know, trying to make a fake ID and she pleads guilty to first degree murder, vehicular homicide, concealment of a homicide and aggravated kidnapping. Kate doesn't go to the arraignment, but Josh does and tells her about it later. They found out that it was B's blood in Josh's garage and she kept Delilah all these years because she couldn't bring herself to kill her. Delilah knew too much, but she couldn't let her go home. So the options were kill her or hide her. And she chose the least bad option that she thought between the two of them. So like, so this is the thing that like, I've just been thinking about too, is like, did they just now find out that that was B's blood in the garage? Yeah. Because they said that when they tested it, it didn't match to anyone in the database. So they okay. went back. I must have just skimmed Yeah, over. they went back and now realized that it was B's blood in the garage because now they were, they had her. Now they have it. Yep, because she had never committed a crime prior to this, so they would have never had her DNA on file. Yeah. So Kate just, like, still thinks, like, did Delilah ever try to escape? Did she scream? Like, what the heck happened? She accepts only one call from prison, from B. Literally asks, like... What were you planning on doing? Like, what that? Like, what was your end goal? And B just like said she doesn't have a choice and never set out to hurt anyone. But in the end, you know, Kate just says like, "You did. You hurt everyone." Yeah. And Shelby Tebow's husband is let out of jail because B had framed him by putting the clothes, the bloody clothes, outside of his house, and everyone's life was destroyed because B could not face the consequences of her own actions. Sometimes Kate says that Josh and her will share a beer on the front porch and they watch Leo and Delilah together doing things that they're supposed to do. Josh says that Delilah still shows a strange affinity towards B, which is understandable in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. But she slipped right back into her old life and 
They said that time heals all wounds, so Josh, Delilah, and Leo are evidence of this. And Kate says, as for me, I'm patiently waiting, but hopeful that my time will come soon. And that was local woman missing. Crazy. Bananas. And as you can tell, we very much enjoyed this book. And I don't know, as I feel like we tr- we did the best that we could, but I don't feel like we did it enough justice. Like, it's so hard to describe this no. book without just reading it out loud to you. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, we, yeah, without just reading it and like you experiencing it, like... It's hard, but if you've read the book, like, you understand. Hopefully you liked it if you read it, because it was a good read for yeah. me. That um, I don't know. I just... I think the only thing that, like, really bugged me, though, was, like, Cassandra and the burner phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, all right, I get that it, like, built that suspense up, but I'm like, girl, would you really do that in real life? I don't know. For sure. I feel like... I understand where, like, the blind rage is definitely coming from. Um, And I think that it was mostly Mm -hmm. supposed to be just, like, a decoy in the book for what was happening. But, yeah. So, honestly, I haven't read a book like that where I, from start to finish, felt like page one to the very end, my attention was held. I did not guess what was coming until like the pieces started to come together for me. I had no clue when they tied the prologue back to Shelby and the car accident. I was shook. Like you guys, I told Hannah, I was like, I can't talk to you about this, but I'm going to send you a live picture of my reaction. (laughs) And it was just me in total shock and despair of what I had just read. You were gasping. I was gasping. I was gusped. I was, I was gusping. (laughs) But yeah, so needless to say, I definitely enjoyed this one. Yes. All right, should we talk about our songs? Yes, let's talk about our songs. So I chose Come In With The Rain very specifically because it never stopped raining in this book. (laughs) And it kind of gave like, it's obviously like about love, but in the context. So it's... It says, I could go back to every laugh, but I don't want to go there anymore. You know, talk to the wind, talk to the sky, talk to the man with the reasons why and let me know what you find. I feel like because there were so many questions and so much uncertainty Mm -hmm. surrounding what had happened, that kind of like, I'm so many scenes kind of cut in my mind of like what would have happened in between like how many days josh would have just been sitting there begging someone whether it was god the universe or what to bring them home or to at least bring them justice like a sense of something yeah and so what really got me was i'll leave my window open because i'm too tired at night to call your name just know i'm right here hoping that you'll come in with the rain Aww. I think it was just yeah. like the testament to how they were just hoping and waiting and they never let up hope. And the rain really brought that like apocalyptic, like melancholy sense. And it really was atmospheric and set the the tone for the book. But this mm-hmm. song in that line specifically, because it's this is actually one of Taylor Swift's like least wordy songs. Like it's very repetitive and very, you know, but I feel like it kind of captured what I was thinking of. And I had gone back and forth between songs for Josh, songs for Meredith, songs for, you know, Leo, a song for B, like Kate, just trying to figure out what I would want. But ultimately for me, it's, you know, 
talk to yourself, talk to the tears, talk to the man who put you here and don't wait for the sky to clear. Like just this sense of like, please just tell me what's going on. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to you? Why aren't Mm -hmm. they home? Please bring them home. So, I mean, I, I already said the line, but for me, it says, I watched you so long, screamed your name. I don't know what else to say. I'll leave my window open because I'm too tired at night um, to call your name. Just know I'm right here hoping that you'll come in with the rain. And there's a part that said for all these games. But for me, it's just like Josh's window was always open, just hoping that Delilah would, Delilah would come home. He had experienced so much loss with the death of his wife, um, who he thought died by suicide for 11 years until he got that closure and found out that she was actually murdered. And so to me, this is like, this song is Josh's desperation to get closure with his family, to find his daughter, to just come home. And honestly, a little bit of Leo. I feel like Leo, if he would have gotten closure younger and if he could have gotten it a little bit earlier in life, he would have been a little less jaded and, but yeah, so that's why I ended up choosing that one. Yeah, definitely. I like it. Um, so bad blood. Um, part of me was like trying to think of like what they would have been singing in the car. Like what would be in? Um, yes, Meredith's been like singing in the car. But like part of me was like it's probably like an ABBA song. But if it was a Taylor Swift song, it'd probably be like you know Lavender Haze or something. Uh, bad blood. Like just kind of like stuck with me is just I mean. The chorus, right? It's just like, now we got bad blood. You know you know it used to be mad love, so take a look what you've done. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of was like, you know, it felt like that relationship between B and Meredith. Like, you know, they used to be like close. There used to be mad love, but now we got bad blood. You know, yeah. just like very, very surface level like that. But then there's like just different lines and like, you know, Kendrick starts out like, I can't take it back. Look where I'm at. And so it just like... Mm-hmm. For me, that was like be right, just being like, I can't take this back. Like, look where I'm at. Like, I have to keep going forward. And she just felt like there was no like, she couldn't really like accept the um, mistakes she made. She's like, yeah. I can't take it back. Like, I got to keep going, um, and all of that. Even when like Taylor says like, it's so sad to think about the good times you and I, because it's like, you know, looking back, like, um, even with like Leo, right, like. You know, when he thought that was Delilah and he's just like, you know, I can't think about the good times because like you're not who you were, you know, and then it turns out it wasn't her. But just like, yeah, it's just not the same. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also the line and it's like, you say sorry just for a show. If you live like that, you live with ghosts. And it was like, mm-hmm. you know, like Meredith was like the ghost, right? Like cause she just lives like that because she can't like really say sorry. Um, so it's just really like they're just kind of going through the motions. But yeah. I like it. Yeah. And then like Beautiful. the Kendrick's lines too, that's like you forgive, you forget, but you never let it go. Like I yeah. just think Meredith could not let it go, you know? For and sure. So So we got some bad blood. No, right. hopefully that song is stuck in your head, everybody. These will be updated on our Spotify playlist. So yes. 
we have somehow managed to only choose the same song one time. So we're doing good so far. Yep. But we'd love to hear um, in our Discord too. Please. Yes. Please let me know what you think they were singing in the car. Because that's my curious thing. Like, what is... What's like that what the drunk anthem that you're singing that, yeah, you're just, you know, blind to it. Just curious what your thoughts are. <laughs> I don't know why, but like Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer just popped into my head. That's just also it's five o'clock in the morning. So that could just be my hallucinations at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's fine. But yeah, let us know your thoughts. Like if you've read the book, if you didn't read the book, but you were just like following along for the juicy drama and the hot tea gossip. <laughs> Final book ratings. We rate in moons and Saturns because we are obsessed with Taylor Swift and we rate to the moon and to Saturn. So I rate in moons. Mm -hmm. uh, Hannah rates in Saturns. And so it's really cute. It's a thing. Just let us do it. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like I am definitely more generous in my ratings than Hannah is. And that's okay. And this book to me was my first five moon read that I've had in a very long time. Um, I like, I could not put it down. I, while I was reading it and even after when I was marinating um, about the book, there was nothing I immediately found like that I disliked about it front to back. I absolutely loved it. I couldn't tell what the twists were. Uh, You can usually kind of call twists from from the get-go so when something really surprises me i really appreciate it but yeah i'm going to give it four saturns which is still pretty generous for me it is um so still we'll see what my five saturn book is i have faith it'll be it'll be soon Uh, it's coming i believe in you but but yeah no four saturns for me is still really good definitely recommend it please go read this book yes great thriller book we loved it But yeah, so are you ready to reveal our next book? Yes. So our next book is Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Yay. So we're switching back to romance um, right before we go into like our horror a horror themed for near Halloween. So be prepared. Um, This is a little lighthearted. One before we hit the ground hard for spooky season. Spooky season. Very excited to read this one. We really appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you give us a follow. Follow us on Instagram and on TikTok. Join our Discord server. Make sure you hit the notification bell so you know when we drop an episode. We would really appreciate it if you could also rate the podcast if you've been liking it. If you dislike it, we would love it if you could leave the reviews to Yelp and just leave us alone. Thank you. (laughs) Follow us. Be our friend. Thank you for listening and reading with us. And hopefully you enjoy the next few episodes. We will catch you in two weeks for Book Lovers by Emily Henry. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye, guys.